Everybody. This is Ken Seymour with my associate Richard Geiger. Hello. <laughs> We're here today to bring you an interview with an individual that's a prominent member of the Bloomington community and has been providing both entertainment and sustenance of a sort to the general area for some time. David Kubiak, the owner of the Bluebird. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here. Well, today we've uh, brought you here just to uh, give an idea to our listeners of what it is that you offer to the to the local community via your establishment, the Bluebird, and to kind of get an idea of you know some of the history and some of the uh, some of the entertaining potential antics that might happen in in this establishment. I was wondering if you could uh, kind of start by maybe telling us a little bit of uh, how you became the owner of the Bluebird, how the place came into existence in the first place. All right. Well, the Bluebird started in 1973. Uh, John Ross uh, was the first owner, and uh, he's from Washington, Indiana, and he named it after an ice cream stand in Washington, Indiana called the Bluebird. Hmm. And so it's from his hometown. And so John owned the Bluebird <clears throat> from uh, 73 to 81, and his brother Steve Ross and Dennis Burris bought him out. And then I bought, and then uh, that partnership split, uh, I don't know, late 90s, and I bought Steve Ross out in 2004. So has the Bluebird kind of existed as it is from the beginning, or has it mutated over time? Well, it's become a little bigger. We expanded in uh, about the year 2000. But musically, it's morphed into different things over time. I always say the Bluebird's kind of like a reflection of popular culture. So in the 70s, you may have seen more jazz in the Bluebird. And then in the 80s, more blues and rock. And then as music interests changed and genres changed in popular culture, you know, so did the Bluebird. So you've, you've just seen a variety of different music, different genres over time. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that uh, expansion. So when you talked about growing up, growing the, the actual building itself, did you have to go sideways? Did you have to go backwards? Did you have to go up? Well, when you're walking into the Bluebird, uh, you walk in a little ramp that has a glass facade on it. That used to be Opie Taylor's hamburger place, which now sits next to the Malibu Grill. Yes. And so that was part of the building of the Bluebird. They wanted to get bigger. The Bluebird wanted to get bigger, so they moved into a bigger spot blocked on the street and the bluebird moved into that location which added two new bathrooms for us improved the sight lines we brought the stage out about five feet uh once again to get bigger performers for the little bit bigger space and improved sight lines that could be a huge difference gigantic difference yeah so you say that you uh are basically the third in succession of the owners of the Bluebird, did you always have an eye towards uh, owning uh, a business like this, or have? No, I really didn't. I used to uh, I used to work for Steve Ross and Dennis Burris, and I I booked shows at the Bluebird, managed the Bluebird. I didn't necessarily think that it would turn into ownership, but uh, you know I just enjoyed the booking process of you know, booking shows and promoting shows, and just kind of one thing led to another. So you've kind of always been more along the the music side of the business than the uh, than the operations. Yeah. Yes, I came in as entertainment. Yeah. Oh. And morphed into operations as well. 
so as the owner of the bluebird do you kind of have that still hands-on approach to the booking and everything or do you kind absolutely of... I, I i handle all the bookings of the bluebird and so sometimes we may partner on a show but i'm i'm overseeing all entertainment at the bluebird okay so what there, there's more to that than just booking the shows though too right i mean absolutely yeah so I mean, Tell me a little bit about that little side aspect of it as well. About what goes into uh, yeah. So besides the show. exactly, so just you got the music and we know that one, but there's I guess there's a lot more going on. Yeah, I mean, first, how do you come to get the show? And there's sometimes where there's acts that you know maybe we think that there's they're a good fit for the Bluebird that we'd like to see them on the stage. And so we may approach an agent or a band or a manager or whoever, and it may take, that show may come together in six months, it may come together in three years, you know, depending on the routing of the band, our availability, the day of the week that it falls on. There's just a lot of variables that go in that. So the process of getting an act can just, it varies dramatically of how things work out. Some so, shows fall into your lap and other shows don't just grind out sometimes they happen sometimes they don't so a lot of phone calls and things are there like i know with uh comedians specifically there are often uh, several uh, organized events that showcase uh, a group of comedians to organizations that will want to employ them at some point potentially um is there something similar that you deal with on the music side, or is it all just kind of going out online, talking? It's it's uh, Most touring acts have agents that represent them, and so you have relationships with the agents that represent acts. Some relationships are better than others, and you deal with certain agents more than you deal with other agents, so there's all that dynamic going on. But essentially that's it. On the, on the big national touring acts, it's the relationship between the venue and the agent. Now, do you, do you go the other direction in that a lot of times you are the one that's going to be looking for the acts to have here. Are there acts that look to come here? Absolutely. I'd say it's potentially a 50-50 split of acts that are touring. They want to play the college town during school session, and they approach us to play. So oh, That's fun. Yeah. Then determining if that act is appropriate and how much do you need to pay and what's the ticket price, what's the day of the week. You can get the right act and get the ticket price wrong, and the show will fail. Or you can get the right act, get the ticket price right, pay them the wrong amount of money, or just a bit. Of, so there's a lot of things that can go wrong for a show. Um, so what what's what's the research part of that? So when you say you want to determine that that act is right for this venue for that for this town, what do you do to do? the due diligence to make sure that they are the right fit well you try to get a gauge of what they're worth you try to network with potentially uh, clubs that are like size of the bluebird across the midwest potentially across the country and if you if an act has played another room we'll reach out to that room how did they do for you and that's a lot of it relationships with different venues as well try to get a good gauge on what, what an act is worth so it's kind of a combination then between what is profitable financially and also what is desirable for yeah. maybe the, the Bluebird personally or some of the desired interest from some people that have come in here. Right. So some, I mean, so profitability, sometimes the show's profitable in the first time. Maybe the back act only plays once and there's a profit thing. Other times it's a development of an act and you think 
that this act uh, can develop over time. And so you invest in them, maybe you lose money in the first time, but you think I'm that, that act, if it's a touring act, that it's going to play here potentially three or four times. And over the course of that span, <clears throat> it makes sense to do that. Uh, other acts, we may, do re we may do cover bands that are from Chicago. And once again, it's a, an investment and a development of that band. They may not be very popular at first, but we're trying to develop them in the market. And if it works out, we are going to play them over a span of time, se several years maybe. Now, are those, when you talk about the profitability aspect of it, is it more looking at the profitability of the tickets? Or, like, the tickets are kind of a wash because that's what pays for the band to be here. Correct. It's just that what those people do when they're here is where the profits come in. Right. So, I mean, each act's a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, ultimately you're making money off of selling drinks is how the Bluebird profits. Um, and the bands are typically a, a break even you will make money on some shows and you will lose money on some shows at the end of the year it's usually a wash it's just what they bring in yeah bring with them yep so do you it seems like you primarily focus on music but do you branch out into other acts that might come into it or uh, non-musical acts non-musical acts yeah. not really uh, as far as you know we try to just do what we you know what we know how to do so um <laughs> For a comedy or something you know we have the comedy addict in town they do i don't really know the first thing about comedy comedians um i like comedy but i don't necessarily you know know who's popular in it and they do a very good job at it i think that's their niche we do this do you um at all interact with some of the festivals that happen through town like the fourth street festival or anything like that or is it just uh, lotus fest sometimes we're a venue for lotus um but as far as events going on in town, like the 4th Street Arts Fest doesn't really, isn't relative to what we're doing necessarily. Um, the Taste of Bloomington's going on, we'll program that night to coincide with what's going on out there. But um, really, we try to, you know, I, I kind of think of, you almost ignore some of the events. If there's a football game, I don't, I used to kind of take that into consideration of programming, but anymore I just kind of just think, well, let's just do the best job that we can. If there's a football game, it may affect us positively or negatively, but let's just try to focus on what we're trying to do. So how, when we talk, talked a little bit about you booking the stuff, is your goal when you look at a calendar for the year, do you have a certain goal in mind? Like, okay, we want to have one for every week this year or is it more of like we just want to get as many as we can that makes sense well you don't want to oversaturate yourself on particularly certain genres so you try to limit how many shows in a certain genre that you're going to do because you think well a potential i'm going to saturate that genre too much so you try to have a variety sometimes there may be momentum in a certain variety we may be doing country shows or oh rock shows or indie rock shows and sometimes we'll get momentum on a certain genre and we'll particularly go to that a little bit more for a certain span of time that may last for a couple of years or six months at a time just depends but if we get momentum on a certain genre we'll we'll go to that for a longer period of time and some genres perform better on certain times of year um the winter time the first quarter usually performs pretty well for us and so we may go to 
more country or rock shows during that first January, February, March of the year than we would potentially in the summertime. Bloomington seems like a pretty eclectic town. Um, how does that affect your booking? Have you seen changes in the last couple of years? What seems to be popular right now? Oh, I don't know that anything new is popular. But the the thing with Bloomington that I try to keep in mind, when we do uh, different genres of acts, I try to get as authentic as I can. So Dave Rawlings' Machine was just here a few days ago, and they're folk Americana, a little bit of bluegrass to them, but really authentic. And Bloomington seems to gravitate towards those types of acts. If I can get a a straight bluegrass band that's really authentic or reggae that those type of acts typically do very well here interesting so we know what do you think is if those do well what do you think probably does the best as far as, I don't know that it's genre specific but just some acts are just very popular at the time and you catch them on the wave and Okay, so, so and, and it could be um, reoccurring acts. Like, do you have? I, I'm sure you have a couple that come here a couple times every single year, and they always just seem to to kill it when they're here. Um, well, the cover bands that come from Chicago, we'll play them potentially once a month or every six weeks, and they'll do very well consistently throughout the whole year. Touring acts usually touring acts maybe not, don't play, but only play once a year. Regional acts sometimes we may do a couple times a year. So it just depends. Yeah. So, so you think Chicago, in a sense, is one of your better sources for your your talent that comes here? Well, or is it really just the whole it's Midwest? It's the whole country, but the fact that you have Chicago four hours away and you have Nashville four hours away, you certainly need to use those as the proximity that they are to the venue. You need to take advantage of that. And so there's a lot of different genres coming out of Nashville and like the party bands, a lot of them come out of Chicago. So we just we try to get as many of those as we can. So give us an idea, just a, a general snapshot of your day-to-day. What, what's, in, what's involved in running a business like this? Well, it depends if there's a show that day. So if it's a big show day, that may vary from a non-show day. So for instance, if it's a non-show day, you still have the you know, you still have a business to run of keeping inventory and dealing with the salespeople that are selling you products. So you have to deal with those types of folks. Um, you may, you know, we'll have several shows coming up now for the fall time. Um, where is each show at? What show needs a little bit more promotion than another show? And so we may be running social media post and advertising through them or radio advertisement. Uh, we don't do as much print advertisement anymore. But you're trying to think of um, grassroots promotions, potentially, that you're trying to promote certain type of acts. So some shows may be three weeks out that, you know, that show needs a little bit more attention and we're, we need to do something to boost sales for that. And so you're concentrating on those types of things and what you can do to improve those shows' attendance. So is that more, when you say grassroots and print less that the print less makes more sense just because the people don't gravitate towards that anymore so when you try to attack that promotion what's your direction that you mainly lean on matter it's on the genre of of music we may do a you know 
let's use take three generalizations. You have if you have a college type act, if it's a DJ or something that college kids are gravitating towards, then it's heavy social media. A lot, most things are social media heavy, but those are really specific uh, social media heavy. We may have acts. Todd Snyder is coming up here in a few weeks, or um, Deer Tick and Old Ninety Sevens are all coming up in the next couple months. And so those we we do stuff with WTTS, our AAA radio station. So we'll lean heavy on those on radio for those types of acts. If it's country, we do mainstream country. We do kind of outlaw country as well. If it's mainstream country, that's radio heavy as well. And we're reaching out into the Indianapolis market, into the Bloomington market, southern Indiana. What can we do to spread the word via radio for country? So it just depends on the genre of music, how we approach it. So it sounds like the social media aspect plays a huge part. How did that change things from how you had to do things pre-social media. It was dramatically different. Uh, so when people really gravitated towards social media and started not reading newspapers as much or not listening to the radio as much, it changed the whole dynamic of how do you do that. So there was a period of there where you still had to run print and you still had to run radio heavy and you still had to promote social media as this dynamic was changing. And so over time, it just became more social media do you think that's been an overall positive? Uh, it's just different, I think. Uh, um, it's just different. Is so it, some, some aspects are very positive on it, that you're, you're reaching these folks. But uh, it's an ever-changing thing as well. Uh, technology changes, and people go to find their music and learn about shows in different uh, mediums, and you need to try to keep up with that. So in that similar aspect so what happens then you're two weeks out you're three weeks out you've been promoting you do all the stuff and that act cancels what like what's the scramble mode like at that point in time uh, we don't like to think about that um it, seldom does it happen but it it does happen uh idea hopefully that's not a saturday night or a friday night and you're left without an act um so I, you know, one thing I try to keep in mind, if uh, an act does cancel within a week or two, I try to concentrate the, the inconvenience, I try to narrow it down to that one night, and I try not to let other nights affect other nights. So, for instance, if it's a Saturday night and the act cancels, I try not, if I'm going to have to fill the date, I try not to take away from it potentially a, a, an additional night. I've taken an act that's four weeks out, putting them in that act that's two weeks out. Now I've got two problems instead of one. Don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. Yeah. But it's, you're, the, some t that may be your initial thought that goes into it, but it usually leads to more trouble down the road. So do you have like a, a pool of emergency contacts? <laughs> Depends on what time of year it is and are those acts already playing for you? Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to think of the best alternative option that doesn't mess up the rest of your schedule. And then your social media scramble becomes like a whole different ball game at that point too, because like, hey, we've got to revise what we've done already to get those things back out there. Yeah. So we had it just happened to us about a month ago. We had um, the hardworking Americans, which is 
uh, Todd Snyder's band with uh, a couple guys from Widespread Panic. Really cool act. We're excited to have it. Um, they were playing, scheduled to play here on a Friday. They were playing a festival in Chicago on a Saturday. And the festival in Chicago cancels uh, due to low ticket sales or something. I don't know. And so, in turn, we lost our date on the Friday. And this is two days out from the show. It's a Friday night. We've lost the show. Oh, boy. Oh, man. So, High Rider, uh, who was the opening act on the bill, they do like a Grateful Dead cover band thing from Indianapolis. We put them in as the headliner. And now we have two days to get the word out that these guys are headlining. They went heavy on their social media. We went heavy on ours. It really turned out to be a very good evening. But that was a, a best case scenario for us that we had the support act was somebody that could step into the headlining situation. They were a regional act. They weren't on tour with the headlining act. We were able to salvage the night. I kind of think that's even where the social media comes into play because your quick turnaround is much different than print or even to a smaller extent what radio would be for quick turnaround. Correct. So it's the knowing of where people are going to hear about shows. That's the main thing. It's, you know, with anything, the you're certain where people are going to get their information. So you've got your method of going out and... Uh, looking for acts whether it be through the agents or anything how often do you get just some random guy that you've never seen i've got a band i'd love to play the bluebird just kind of come up to you do you have any situations where it's just either it's turned out to be well i'm going to give him a chance and that was awesome it turned into something great or yeah uh maybe maybe practice some more what what do you do in those certain situations uh, it usually we don't do it um, and there may be, we may have missed several opportunities because of that. But once again, the certainty, especially with the room is su- this, as big as the Bluebird is, that th- to do things that you're not certain about is too risky to do. So if somebody comes up and says, hey, we do well, I don't know, some other town and my band's great, I, it's, I usually tell them they need to play a smaller room in Bloomington before they come play the Bluebird. Or if they're from Indianapolis or wherever, then I they need to play the, the rooms that are like the Bluebird in their town. And once they can do that and establish that, all right, then let's take a look at doing it here. So would you say then that you're kind of like, I don't know if premier is the right word. but for, Well, just the size of the room for Bloomington. I don't like to think that we're better or worse than anybody else but we're just this the let's take us for instance with the bishop the bishop does great cool cutting edge stuff we're just a lot bigger than they are and so they can take a little bit more chances than we can and you know it's just a hard it's a bigger room to fill so it's a different dynamic that we have than a smaller room would have well in all these groups that you've had and in the time I mean, maybe even going back to when you were not owning, but just booking, you know, what what have been some of your highlights or some of maybe even your successes or favorite acts that you were able to get here? Well, anytime you see an act that's coming up on the verge of stardom and you can sense it, that's a really, it's a cool experience. Or anytime you get like a really authentic show is a really cool experience too so some of the best experiences 
may have been losers financially, but you go, you walk away thinking that was a really special night at the Bluebird, and sometimes only a few people witnessed it. Sturgill Simpson came here, and you know played in front of a dozen people, and you walked away at the end of the night thinking, man, that was really really something, and just it was too early. People didn't get it yet. Uh, <laughs> We did uh, Mumford and Sons as they were on their first tour. It was very well attended, but you could sense that this was really happening. The Avet Brothers, the same thing. Uh, Kings of Leon came through here, and you could just sense that something really special was happening to those bands, and you were a part of it and on a small scale. Do you ever kind of get the opposite happen? Some, some band that had played here a couple of times or whatever before they hit big, and it had been sometimes then they hit big, and then want to come back does that does that happen well um it happens with so for instance now there seems to be a resurgence for demand for 90s music so you get some of those acts that maybe were really popular in the 90s that want to come back and play the clubs and hit the college students again blues traveler just played uh, jimmy world third eye blind we did all those types of acts that at one point were just way too big to play the bluebird and they came back and, and did it. It was cool. Humphreys um, McGee is a band that really kind of cut their teeth in this room way back when. And still, you know, it's been a little while since they've been here, but would come back and play the room. Too, they, you know, really, their production's too big to play here. But they like the sense of nostalgia. They're playing in front of, you know, college kids. You know, it's, it's a neat experience. So as much as anything else, it's... A, an issue of logistics as, as right. they draw more people they have a larger group of individuals traveling with them larger backup band or whatever you, you aren't always able to handle that kind of that's size. correct and so some bands have to scale it down so an act like that cannot put their full production on the stage and so some acts don't want to compromise that and when every time they play they want people to see their full production I, I understand that and some people will scale it down to play a small room because of the energy that is created in here is pretty special. Have, have you had any of those where it's just this was a place that you would have never thought ever that this particular performer would have come here? One, for the location, or two, for the size, but they ended up coming here. Of course, the show was great and all that type of stuff. Um. Yeah, uh, it happens. Uh, well, I think with Dave Rollins has played here. He's you know plays theaters, sells out the Ryman, and normally plays theaters. He likes the intimacy of this room, and he comes and plays it. It's kind of a really special thing. Uh, Cody Jenks is coming in a month. He's too big to play this room, and but he's played it a few times. He likes it. It's it's an underplay for him, and he's. He, I think he. I don't know exact reasons why he's doing it, but I, we're excited to have him back. Yeah, that's always fun when you get those those people like you, like you said you don't know why but they know why they know why they want right to and other yeah different guys have different reasons for doing it uh, we did a Sunvolt tour uh, one time I don't remember you know Sunvolt Jay Farrar and Sunvolt and, mm -hmm. and they hadn't played in several years and uh, they were doing a big festival in Memphis and Jay comes in and says hey you know I wanted to do this show tonight usually you don't get that kind of candor with an <laughs> artist. And I said, no, I don't not know why. And he said, well, we hadn't played in, you know, a couple of years. Our first show is a band in a couple of years. We're playing this festival in the next couple of days. And he goes, and I really enjoyed the Bluebird. The stage is wood. The, there's a lot of wood in the room. And 
I think the sound of the band sounds cooler in this type of room than in other rooms. And I wanted our first performance to be in a setting like this. And so that's why we wanted to play here. That's really, it was a, it was a cool feedback from a great artist. Yeah, it does seem to, when you have that kind of a structure, it just gives kind of a warmer sound, almost like listening to uh, records instead exactly. of CDs. Yeah. Yeah. It's, an, it's a really interesting layout and sound. Now, I, is that the same layout that it's virtually been the entire time it's been open? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's been essentially the same thing. Like I said we brought the stage out a little bit bigger, but the general principles of the room have stayed consistent through all that time. So you've got these bands that come through, you've been dealing with their agents, you've been dealing through uh, little middlemen to, to get there, you've established relationships with the agents. Do you occasionally find an odd friendship either with a band or uh, an agent that you could speak about that could be? Oh, uh, you certainly develop relationships with some of these guys. And uh, I don't know that they're necessarily odd you know, but there's certain acts that, that when they come back, you just really enjoy. It. You not only do you enjoy the performance, but you just you know there's just some guys you really enjoy their company, and some some of the guys usually if a band's playing this type of room, there's a certain amount of I don't know uh, there's a certain amount of character that goes with that that they're not superstars that they have this big ego that you're dealing with they're just you know they're working musicians that are very good at their craft and they're really interesting people to know and those types of acts we really do try to bring those back because we enjoy the afternoon with them and enjoy the performance still trying to make the connection directly more directly with the, the fans that are listening yeah yeah and and with our staff here and our crew you know, there's just uh, there's a bond. You know, they've been here a few times. They get to know each other. Sometimes they go out and have a beer with each other after the show, and it's, it's you form a little bonding. So, it, I mean, it seems like with a lot of the aspects, you know, there's so many things, and we've only touched on the music part, right? And we haven't really touched on the other parts of the business. But uh, of all these aspects, I mean, what's your when it comes to the music aspect of it? Your favorite part? Is it the booking? I mean, is it the watching? Is it the seeing the people come back? Like, what's your well, favorite I aspect? Think, I think the the development of an act. If you can see an act grow over time, then if you feel that you're a part of it, and this can this can be true for a national touring act, it can be true for a cover band out of Chicago or a local band here out of Bloomington. That if you can see them come in and you give them a shot on stage and they're young kids and then all of a sudden they go back and they get excited and they practice and they develop the, their craft and you watch them grow from a band that does 30 people to several hundred people that's a really interesting cool feeling to have to, to watch a band morph into something special so do you get the opportunity or do you feel it uh, as a responsibility to kind of be present for each of these acts or I'm here a lot yeah uh, so you know you can't be at every show but mm -hmm. if a band's developing but I'll certainly will will check and see how they're doing and maybe sometimes it may just see it for a half hour I don't know it just but you're you're monitoring how everybody's doing yeah I guess you have to sleep sometime <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the way I kind of see it too is you're 
is your age median for like the folks that are here watching the shows as it as you've done this through the the time frames obviously depends on the band that's here but for the majority like do you see that the everything kind of is remaining consistent as far as like the age groups coming in to watch everything well i always have tried to keep this thought in mind of all right you're you're the big club in bloomington and i try to cater to everybody so that all the people in Bloomington that like music or the college students, that everybody gets to experience a show here. That's, it doesn't always work out, but that's kind of the idea, that we try to make a different genre so people can come, of whatever you like, ideally, that we're able to provide that for you at some point of the year and you can come see a show. Depending on your, you know, no matter what your age is, no matter what your musical tastes are, that you can come see this get that point down the road i remember being in college and going to the bluebird and yeah and then but still be able to come back if you're 45 or 50 or 60 that will still do something that you can come back and watch a show and feel like you're not out of place so over the years you've had a, a ton of acts come through here we always like to get a more personal story whether something that it's just something funny that happened when you booked the act something occurred and you didn't expect it and the reaction was different in some way or some disaster that was nearly averted or <laughs> maybe the disaster wasn't averted and you just had to ride through it do you have any any story that just kind of sticks with you oh there's been so many close calls on different things um i i for whatever reason the the Leftover Salmon story when they were Leftover Salmon still plays every now and then, but twenty years ago when they were, you know, just as a startup band and it's starting to happen for them, and load in was at four o'clock, and at that time you just instead of having Matt Quest or something, you just told the band, you know, once you're in Bloomington, you know, you head down Walnut Street and we're between sixth and seventh on Walnut Street, and you tell them your address and uh, and this is where you park the bus. And you'd actually talk to the bus driver and you'd tell him how to get here. <laughs> and so it's, I don't know, it's four o'clock that day-ish. And the bus driver calls up and he's like, hey, nothing's making sense. I'm on Walnut Street and all the landmarks that you said aren't adding up. And we're talking on the phone for five minutes trying to figure out. Suddenly we realize he's in Bloomington, Illinois. And it's four o'clock. Oh. And it's, um, which is four hours away on a tour bus on a show that, can't remember if it's sold out but it's i think it's close to sold out if not not sold out and what are you good what are, what are we gonna do there's a walnut street in bloomington illinois and it's just ironic so anyhow uh we just he goes man we're on our way we're gonna we're gonna just get there he goes open the doors up and we're just gonna throw our gear up and just play no sound check we're just gonna throw and go <laughs> And they did, and they were just great sports about it, and the crowd was great about it, and just went up there and and did it. So, so if you're, <laughs> there's been a lot of running late stories. That's good. Awesome. Levon Helm was here, uh, did a tour at the Barnburns. Leon was suffering from throat cancer. His daughter was singing, but Levon mm -hmm. Levon's playing drums, and we're so excited. You know, Levon Helm's playing the bluebird. Oh my gosh! And so, uh, but he's running way late. He's in a van in a trailer and. The opening band is on, and Levon's not in the building yet. And they're oh. calling us. 
and said, hey, we're on our way. And I'm telling the opening act, you know, I need three more songs because Levon's not here yet. <laughs> and finally he pulls up and, you know, we just, you know, it's just a scramble and we get up there and do it and it went off. Sorry, I've got visions of the uh, Blues Brothers and Rawhide, everybody <laughs> coming together, <laughs> deciding yeah, one life. Yeah, there's been, you know, and really you try not to freak out about it. You just try to, there's things that happen. All right, and we have a staff here. They have their crew. Let's just do the best job that we can. It's not always perfect. We just, let's try to keep calm and just do the best job that we can. And usually people appreciate it. Is your, when you have these shows, is the start time for these shows usually the same? Or well, kind of Well, we try to, all right, that's something else that's happened over time. So it, we there's been... Um, it used to always be the thing that shows started at 10 o'clock at night or really late, and people would go out late to see music. More often than not now, people want to see the show earlier than later. So certainly on weekdays, we if it's a national concert, we go for an 8 o'clock start with the opening act. Doors at 7, show at 8. And if that's on a weekend, depending on the genre, we'll, we may go 8 or 9 o'clock start on the weekends. But we're certainly that the start times are moving earlier and earlier. I don't know if it's because the people that like to see music maybe a little bit older or whatever the reason, but that seems to be a more popular thing now. Have you had a band that they've got up there, the, the room is cooking, everything is going really well, they don't want to leave the stage? Sure, yeah. Everybody mean and they're going to hit... Well, that's if you have an earlier show, then they can go a lot longer. So it's not <laughs> such a big deal. And they can... Seldom does somebody play till 3 in the morning. That, that, that that's Because of the start time of the show. But certainly bands will be uh, very excited about the show and play long. That's great. Like Is the is the cutoff time like the absolute? So you've got to be done by this. Is it you got to have the everybody business? out of the building at 3.30. That's the law. That's the law. Okay. So technically, yeah. you can't serve drinks after three. So it has happened. People have played till three fifteen in the morning. We've cleared the room out. That's happened. Not very often, and it's been a long time since it's happened. But you can actually do that. That's something I didn't think about. Uh, laws and ordinances. Right. Have there been changes over time that have affected the way you've had to do business? With ordinances? Yeah. Well, now that Bloomington has developed and we have all these neighbors that live around us, that was used to be never the case. And you know, now we have people literally living, uh, you know, 100 feet from the Bluebird. It's, it's a different dynamic. And so you have to try to, that doesn't necessarily have to do with our earlier times, but we're making sure that the, you know, that every insulated door is closed. So we're not, you know, we want to be a good neighbor to the neighborhood. And so we try to make those concessions as best we can. I didn't even think about that because there are a lot of buildings around here and the business is on the bottom floor and the living space is on the top floor or floors. Right. Plus there are houses that are just It's like moving in next road. to an airport. <laughs> yeah. But you would imagine that those people have to have that expectation. Right. When you're there. living downtown, there's certain dynamics that you that there's noises that you would normally hear and that's part of the excitement yeah. the electricity of living downtown at the same time we you know we want to be respectful if you know it's a tuesday night and midnight you know we you know we want to have those shows go earlier if we can and just you know 
it's we're all doing this together we're trying to be good to the neighborhood. i have to expect that the leasing agents whoever's in charge of the properties where people are going to live so close downtown have to ideally like, they you have to them. know <laughs> this is how bloomington is but there's certain people that don't quite get it till they till they're here hmm. well let's take a look to the future for a moment i mean you obviously have plans uh whether they're short term or long term do you have anything exciting that 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 just pops to mind that might be happening here sometime in the next six months or so so that'll hit right about the time that we release the episode <laughs> this is true yeah the cody jinx one's coming up in uh in a month, so I guess that'll probably already have played by then. But that's the one that's coming up that's really excited about having Cody back. That's a big, big deal for us, and we're excited. Um, there's other uh, cool shows, too. Lucero's coming back. We'll do our Christmas show with WTTS. Um, when's, your, when's this air? This should be in about six months. Uh, oh, so, yeah, so it, I mean, Andrew that's, that's pushing it back. I mean, at, at the la- at the least, yeah, know, yeah be, it'll yeah. be Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, which I already have played. But that's in December. We announce it in October. But, nice, but that's cool. And that's another cool thing: the relationship we've had with the radio station of being able to do their Christmas concert. So we did a Leon Bridges show a couple of years ago. It was another logistic thing of how do we pull this off? Leon Bridges at the time and just really kind of hit it big on the scene we uh we're doing a sunday show he's playing saturday night live on the saturday and wow. so he's and uh so you're they're gonna fly in the next morning i'm thinking all these scenarios in my head of oh my god you know you hear all the stories of the parties that go on after saturday night live mm-hmm. and you know are these guys actually going to be at the airport when i pick them up <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning are they going to be in a position to play by the time the show starts right. and they were everything went great and every, you know it, it pulled off but you're like my gosh logistically how do you how do you do that but we we did so the and then the the future so the bands you can always see so far into the future with that but what about the business itself are there plans for the building are there plans for the business uh in the future well the everything just needs a little care i guess you know we'll, we need upgrades to the sound system the lighting the building you know everything it's an old building everything's a little old so over the next several years you'll see upgrades to start happening to nothing cosmetically that you're going to say oh that's a lot different there's a new roof on the building or something like that but uh those are the kind of things we'll be doing but the sound you'll i guess you know ideally you'll notice that over time that we'll start making upgrades to sound and lights in here i know at least uh at least in the past i know my dad was always been around music for a while and, and that was one of his favorite aspects was tinkering with the the background the setup uh how all of the speakers were going to be placed and and how the boards were going to be hooked up and how are you going to run everything do you have do you take care of that or do you have somebody no that we have does somebody that? that does that handles the sound but uh, but then when we upgrade, it'll be, you know, now there'll be a little technology change. We'll go into digital front of house desks and, you know, it'll be a change for us. But. Well, I think that uh, will yeah. pretty well wrap things up. I want to thank you very much, David, for taking the time to speak with us. And hopefully here again in the future, we can maybe touch base and uh, talk again and 
uh, see what is exciting in the realm of the bluebird. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for just chatting it up. That's kind of what we want to do is a lot of times when we talk to folks is just kind of have a conversation about stuff, you know, nothing too yeah. crazy. Well, a good thing it's something we know about. Ideally. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, so there's a lot that I don't know about, and I would love to hear about it from people that know. So thank you again very much, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. All right, thanks. Thank you.